Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Julie Lithcott-Hames, talking about her new book, Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Julie is the author of of the New York Times bestseller, How to Raise an Adult, and she is a leading voice in the conversation on helicopter parenting and the importance of failure and making mistakes in helping our kids to develop resilience and to find their passion. Today, we're going to be talking about why young people are having trouble adulting, why it's hard being a young adult today and what we can do as parents to make things a little bit easier for our teenagers and 20-somethings. We'll talk about how to give advice that teens will actually listen to, how to talk about money and financial responsibility with kids, and why it might actually be problematic for a teen to have too clear of a plan for their life at age 15. All that and much more is coming up today. Julie Lithcott-Hames, thank you so much for coming on the show. Your previous book um, was How to Raise an Adult that was really a kind of, I felt like a big voice in the conversation on helicopter parenting and um, this overprotective thing that's happening with parents and young adults, especially as the kids kind of go off to college and um, all of this. So why now are we turning the lens to writing a book that's more geared towards young adults? Because Andy, too many young adults really feel inadequate at the task of adulting. You hear it in their language, in their media, in their memes. I don't want to adult. I can't adult. Adulting is hard. Adulting is scary. And I'm here as this older person down the path of life saying, yep, you're right. It is scary. Absolutely. And it's also amazing to be in charge of yourself Hmm. instead of handled and managed by someone else making your choices, telling you what you have to do with your life. There's actually this delicious feeling when you're in charge of yourself. It comes with some terror, but on balance, I think it is far preferable to being kind of on the end of someone else's leash, which is what childhood can feel like. So I wrote this for them. And there's a lot of you in here. There's a lot of your kind of personal story of how you're sort of finding yourself in a lot of different ways and dealing with a lot of the issues that you're talking about in the book. Was that strange to be so vulnerable? 
No, it wasn't strange. I mean, some people may find it strange that I was so vulnerable, but I have written memoir. I My second book was a memoir on being Black and biracial growing up in white spaces, dealing with racism and microaggressions. And I had to dig deep and I had to decide in publishing that thing that there was benefit in mm. being vulnerable. And, and I did so for the purpose of helping other humans feel less alone. And that's what I've tried to do in this book. Let me, from my vantage point, 53 years out, try to shine a light on this adulting thing by sharing some of my difficult moments, opportunities for learning, struggles, successes with you so that you can see what it looks like. Mm. But as you know, from having read the book, it's not just my stories. I've got the profiles of close to three dozen other humans in these pages. And that's my way of saying, my way ain't the only way. I don't have the answers. I am here, I think, with a set of questions uh, a set of topics that I want you to mull over continually, whether it's about your self-care or your finances or your relationships or your work, ultimately you are forging a self. You are creating this adult person and it's a very personal and intimate thing. Only you can do it for you. But let me put other humans on the page from all kinds of different walks of life, socioeconomically, racially, genderly, in terms of sexual orientation, mental health situation. I mean, all of it. I've tried to put so many different kinds of humans in these pages so that my, my secret hope, Andy, is that every reader will at some point have cause to say, I can relate to this, or even better, she had me in mind when she wrote this, I feel seen. there's all kinds of stories throughout the book. And one story that resonated with me earlier in the book is you talk about this kid who I think you're, you're working in um, higher education. And this is a student who kind of comes to your office and has this plan all planned out for his entire life. And exact, you know, he's going to go to medical school and when he turns this age and then he's going to do this, he's going to meet, uh, I think in the second year of medical school, he's going to meet his future wife. And then that there's like this whole step-by-step map roadmap for the, his future. And, um, I, I wonder what you thought about that or what you told him, uh, about, you know, that goal setting and, um, life planning. So I was the Dean of Freshmen at Stanford University for a decade and I had office hours every Friday and I would just, people would sign up for a half an hour slot with me or maybe an hour slot depending. And my job was to listen and care and ask good questions. Uh, in other yeah. words, my job wasn't to give answers like major in this, do this with your life. Like, no, 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 that was not my, my approach okay. then. And I carry that non-judgmental questioning approach into this book. And so here's this kid and he's so proud to open his laptop and announce to me his plan for his twenties, which included the things you mentioned, med school, beat the woman I'm gonna marry, have the first child by this date, have the second. And he's beaming. He's so proud that he's figured it out as if, as if he's been handed a set of puzzle pieces for life and he's managed yeah, yeah, to right. place them in the right order. And so, you know, 
I, I didn't want to dash his dreams at all. And setting goals for oneself is very important, but there was this hubris. There was like that this shall happen. I shall mm-hmm. make it so. And I was like, wow, this kid, this guy has to learn so much. His plans involve someone else's body. His plans assume he will just fall in love with his, the love of his life. Um, at a certain point when he's decided in advance, this will be the right time. And I wanted to right. say like, dude, grow up, like, come on. Also, life will throw shit at you and you will <laughs> right. duck sometimes. You will get hit by it sometimes. You will catch it and throw it back sometimes. And you need to bring that adaptability. I was really worried. Like, yeah, is he going right. to feel like a failure if he doesn't get to this med school or get into this residency or fall, find the person to fall in love with? Is he going to be desperately looking for someone to fall in love with? Which, by the way, will make him completely unattractive, right? Yeah, we are attractive totally. to others when we are rooted in our confidence about who we are and what we want. That's when we become maximally attractive. So if we're obsessed with meeting the person by, you know, before before I finish year two of my residency, chances are, dude, that isn't going to happen. And you're going to be bewildered, like what went wrong. And it's like, you're so wedded to your life playing out according to this plan. You are forgetting to actually live your life. So I put that story in there in the chapter, uh, you're not perfect, be good as a way to try to just help people uh, unburden themselves from this straight jacket of life must go according to plan. And I actually cite the Yiddish phrase translated into English, we plan, God laughs. Because mm-hmm. Lord knows, I can say this 53 years out, yeah, we can make plans and sometimes they do eventuate. And as I've said, setting goals is important, but very often we will have that curveball thrown at us and we have to adapt. And that that's a huge piece of adulting and it actually feels really good when you do kind of figure out your plan B yeah, and like, all right, right, didn't work out the way I wanted, but I'm still standing. I'm still, I'm still loved by a few people. I think, you know, I'm going to dust myself off and keep going. And a lot of times that's actually even one of the best skills you can possibly have. And Amen. also, you know, if you're so focused on your plan, then you might miss something that even could have been better for you or that might have been a better fit that you just kind of had blinders on and you went right past it without looking for it because you were so focused on, you know, already knowing what the next step was going to be. So. That's right. Running real fast to the life you imagine you want while yeah. missing the actual life that's available, beckoning to you like, hey, I'm here. What about me? Yeah. But so is this felt to me like an interesting topic to discuss because I feel like as parents, we want our kids to have a plan for their life and know where they're going and know what they're doing. And, um, and that's actually, we then, that makes us feel good. It's like, oh, whew, okay, kids on track is going to go to medical school. Then you're going to do that, you know, right? And uh, yeah, some kids in the future. Not, not this, I can look forward to that. Grandkids coming, nice. Nick. Um, so as a parent, like how do you kind of, encourage your kids to have plans and all that, but then also to be open to what life comes their way. Well, hopefully a parent would say exactly what you just said in your lovely tone of voice, which is confident and reassuring and kind. You have a beautiful voice and 
I imagine a beautiful way of speaking with, with your kids and with young people. Um, so first of all, we parents have to get really clear within ourselves that mm. this child is a human being whose life path is not ours to dictate. This is not a dog we will forever have on a leash and march down a sidewalk and over to the dog park and right. over to the, right? This is a human. I mean, let's have profound respect for the fact that our children are their own being with capabilities and passions that they need to figure out. So we wanna be loving the heck out of this human and providing shelter and food, teaching them to work hard, teaching them to set goals, also teaching them to be a good person. Um, it isn't about like the, the goal of parenting is my kid can fend without me. That's when we've succeeded. I've succeeded as a parent if my kid can fend without me when I'm dead and gone. I mean, that's the biological mammalian imperative. Okay. It's not, I need to get my kid to this medical school, right? It's, I need to know that I've raised someone who can fend for themselves and look after themselves and pay their bills, however they choose to do so. So if we struggle with that as parents, often it's because there's a psychological uh, unwellness, unease within us, where we feel our own ego needs our kid to go to med school for us, yeah, you know? Right. And so that it, that's worth dwelling on. Like, how can I distance myself from my kid's existence enough so that they can actually have their life and I can have my life too. And we love each other, but I'm not direct. I'm not the director of their life. It's so arrogant. None of us wants to be arrogant, but if you think about it, if we can't get out of our kid's way, um, we basically decided I know best. I will handle, I will tell you what you need to do with your life so that I love you so that you know i can feel good about myself and brag about you to my friends it's it's really kind of messed up which right. is not to say that we don't all do it i've certainly done it and maybe i still am doing it i have a 21 year old and a 19 year old and i'm trying to work that out so it's about wanting our kids to make forward progress and and emulating what that looks like modeling what that looks like like we try things we fail we try again like we are all imperfect. It is fine. You will find your path. It will take time. And I think for a parent to develop the empathy necessary to coach a teenager well, I would encourage that parent, dip back into your own memory of yourself at 14 or 17 or 21 or 25 or whatever the years are. When you took a right-hand turn, when something bad happened and you didn't get what you wanted and you had to go with plan B, but it turned out to be okay, or even more than okay, it turned out to be really cool. See if you can summon empathy for your own kids, right to have an imperfect path forward by reminding yourself of the imperfections associated with your own path. Our kids need to know those stories, okay? They, my colleague, Madeline Levine in the parenting space, psychologist here in the Bay Area writes, our kids look at us if, you know, we're their parents, they look up to us and they think our life path has been this really smooth trajectory, you know, just up, 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 right. up, 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 up. They don't see the stumbles, the pitfalls, yeah. the screw ups, the things we did we're ashamed of or really regret, you know, or just the really bad decisions we made. They don't know about that. They just looking, you know, they just 
you know, that line just seems smooth. So if we can share, you know, like, hey, I didn't know what I was going to major in either. And some people did, but I didn't. And I just went off and took classes that seemed interesting. And you know what? That's when I realized anthropology is my jam. And I never would have known about anthropology if I'd been so fixated on pre-med. Because what kid comes out of high school learning about anthropology, you know? So yeah, to be open right. to the vast, vast openness of adult life and all the myriad things a human can study and all the myriad jobs a person can have and, you know, listening to that inkling within the self, like, hey, this sounds fascinating. Really? All right. Take a step further. Learn a little bit more. Ooh, this sounds intriguing. All right. Go in that direction. Oh, I really, really don't like that. Okay. Valid. You just learned something really important. See if you can figure out why you hate it. Oh, I hate working with people. All right. Note it. Write that down. Oh, I hate mm. being behind the scenes. I want to be the person out in front. That's valid. Note that. Oh, I love yeah. working with money. Okay. Write that down. Like every bad experience, every turn that seems to be the sort of, um, uh, the mistake somehow, yeah. boy, that's offering us great data. Mm -hmm. And often in the space of the discomfort, the disappointment is when we give ourselves permission to say, you know what? I hate this. I actually want to do this instead. It's sometimes our misery. Um, it's misery that's required in order to, for us to give ourselves permission to say, I don't actually want to be in dental school mom yeah. i know i'm at harvard dental school as one of the people in my book is you know just push 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 so successful johns hopkins undergrad harvard dental school and he's standing there with his hands in a patient's mouth and he realizes i don't love this i'm in dental school why am i in dental school everybody told me this was success and it looks like success but i am desperately unhappy and he summoned the courage to say to his mom, I don't want this. And she said, well, you know, she argued and he argued back. And finally yeah. she said, what do you want? And he said, I don't know. Mm. And he took two years off to figure it out and went backpacking and did a Taekwondo tournament and was an extra in Hollywood. And like, just got out of that straight jacket comfort zone of like, well, at least I've got a path. I'm on a plan. I'm gonna be a graduate of Harvard Dental School in no time. He yeah. took himself off track to learn more about himself and then chose a track that was right for him. That was a long answer, but I hope parents can see in that how imperative it is that our kids be given the time and the latitude not to mm. lounge about and flounder, not do anything. No, make some choices, Do get a job, try it out, pursue this path, more yeah. power to you listen to your inner voice, learn from the bad things as much as you learn from the good, if not more. You know, we want to be rooting for our kids to have these journeys rather than somehow thinking we've given them a successful life by telling them precisely what to do with it. That is not how a human becomes successful. They have to walk this path on their own. right that parents are a little bit like sandpaper parenting <laughs> is like taking sandpaper and sanding off whatever rough edges our kids are born with so they can go out into the world and interact kindly and effectively with other humans 
You know, I wrote that that was my approach, Andy. I've got a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old. When they were babies and I was pregnant with the first one, I think I thought, okay, my job is to, you know, shelter them and love them and feed them and smooth off the rough edges. In other words, to make them capable of saying please and thank you so that they could interact with humans and be well-received. I was raised by a strict British mother who was all about manners and propriety. And I think I saw that was my job, you know, the sort of finishing school, uh, make sure they know how to not, you know, wipe their nose with the back of their hand. And while they're in conversation with someone like, and I chuckle in the book that I thought my job was to sand them down. Like they will be imperfect and I need to smooth them out. And you know, now I do believe that manners are really, really important. They are the sort of red carpet that opens life's door to you. Um, but I see the meta- the more apt metaphor, the more respectful metaphor being, let me teach them things they can have in their toolkit so that they yeah. can take these tools with them out into the world. And uh, just a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, like e- equipping them yeah. so that makes them feel like they have more agency too yeah there's a big word that's a huge theme of the book agency and too often when we're parenting we're robbing our kids of having agency because we're doing it all for them to make it easier and to get them on their way so what do you think about the attitude you do you and they do them and everyone just be themselves and be accepting of all people. I love the attitude, be accepting of all people. I love the attitude, you do you, I do me, and you're good, I'm good. Like, I'm not here to judge you or make you do things differently. We all come from very different walks of life. I love that. That's something that young folks would say today that people my generation did not grow up saying, or people older. Mm. However, there is a concern, um, as I say in the book, addressed really by Lori Gottlieb, who's an amazing psychotherapist in LA. She wrote an amazing book. Maybe you should talk to someone um, about being a therapist and having a therapist and all the conversations she has in this therapeutic environment. And she says too many 20-somethings, and I want parents raising teens to really hear this, too many 20-somethings are in her therapy practice um, saying things like this. I had this amazing boyfriend. You've heard me talk about him for weeks, but we had a fight and I just, I gave up on him. I'm done. And she'll say, you had your first fight. What do you mean you're done? She's like, well, he wasn't, the client says, he wasn't hundred percent there for me. So I dropped him. And Lori's sitting there going, you dropped him? Well, he wasn't hundred percent there for me. If he can't be 100% there for me, then I don't want to be with him. Yeah. This sort of, um, you do you and you're all good works when we're talking about our identities. Like, you know, I'm queer, I'm straight, you know, I'm a Latinx, I'm an immigrant, but you also have to be someone who's capable of communicating with other humans across differences of compromising when you are in a relationship or a family or a workplace and you don't necessarily come from the same perspective or agree you've got to be able to be interested in the other person's feelings and reality so Lori the therapist has said when kids are raised with you're good everything about you is good it's all good like whatever you do you if they haven't also been taught but hey other people also matter 
and they come out into the world. And particularly if parents have dropped everything to caretake this child whom they said, you're, it's all good. You do you, right? So I will just support you in being you and serve your needs and, you know, bring you anything you've forgotten and argue with your teachers. Like I'm going to, you just, you're, you're good. And I'm going to protect that truth. Then yeah. these young people can become young people in their young, in their twenties who are in trying to be in a relationship. They're seeing somebody, they're kind of serious. They have a fight. This person is not there for them. It's not dropping everything to meet their needs. And this young person feels they don't love me because they're not meeting my needs because the parenting mm. style has taught this young person to be loved is the other person just cares about your needs. They've failed to teach their kid, hey, I'm your parent. I also matter. I have some need. I have time, yeah. to, you know, limitations. I've got work I need to do. I've got other kids. I've got my partner. I can't just drop everything and meet your needs. We're here today with Julie Lithcott-Hames talking about how to help our teenagers get better at adulting. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. But particularly around money, because it feels so objective and yet is so subjective as well. Others have done it. You can too. You will be okay. Face it head on. Yes, it's emotional and scary but you can. I'm not against find your passion. I just think it's so unfortunate that we've raised a generation of kids to believe that you need to find your passion by the time you apply to college because colleges need to know your passion in order to admit you. We end up with too many kids who've got a manufactured passion. Oh, I'm passionate about this. Yeah. Why? To get into the right college. Oh, so I can write an essay passion. about it. Okay, yeah. right? <laughs> a passion is a deeply personally heartfelt thing. Your passion, when you find it, which may take well into your 20s and beyond, is the answer to the question, why do you do this work? Well, I do it because I love X, I'm good at Y, and my love for it and my skill at it makes it my passion. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.